My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty. And in your majesty ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and acacia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad, king's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from a fear. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house, so the king will greatly desire your beauty. Because he is your Lord, worship him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is woven with gold. She shall be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions who follow her, shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing they shall be brought. They shall enter the king's palace. Instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the people shall praise you forever and ever. Welcome to A Thousand Serious Moves with Amanda Holstein. This is an occasionally comedic, poetic podcast about mysticism and spirituality. Welcome. I just read to you Psalm 45. If you didn't check out the previous season of A Thousand Serious Moves where I went through all the magical uses of the Psalms, 
then now you will know that Psalm 45 has a particular magical use. That's right. If a husband wishes for his wife to be more lovable, then he shall recite Psalm 45 over olive oil and anoint her body. The divine name associated with Psalm 45 is Adoya, which is a composite of Adonai and Yahweh. So if a husband wishes to get back on to his wife's good side, he would pray Psalm 45 over olive oil and then give his wife a nice body massage. Eroticism, the oil of gladness. This psalm is very erotic. Uh, Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. The oil of gladness. What else? A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So already we can see that there's more going on here to this mystical text known as the Bible that's beyond dogma and the exoteric. So the difference between the exoteric and the esoteric is the exoteric is what our typical religions tend to you know, point out as like, what's at the face value? And then the esoteric would be like the hidden knowledge revealed to but a few, but all who seek, so shall they find. As I mentioned on the previous episode, I have been writing a lot of love poetry. Behold, the muse reawakens. We were unsure whether the muse would return, but sure enough, she surely did, and here she is with this creative tide for what it's worth. And so what a beauty it is to reawaken the spirit of love, even when there doesn't appear to be any particular planetary reason. But who can know the ways of the Lord? As an update, last Saturday night, I did a the first public reading of my work from the Metaphysics of Good Vibrations here at Building 98 in Marfa, Texas, and it was a great success. Yes, it was fantastic, and it looks like we'll be doing more readings from this work as well as other work. <clears throat> it was ceremonial in nature, uh, candles, incense, and so on. And so stay tuned for future announcements of public readings. Before we dive into more of this podcast, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by booking a tarot reading with me at www.samantha.as.me. Currently, I'm only offering one, like the hour-long session, but I'm going to add in a few different others. So if you'd like to know if whatever lies ahead for you in the future, or if a certain person has feelings for you, or what the fate pattern is that's playing out, or just a bunch of yes or no questions, or how a certain event might play out for you, you can book your tar- this and more. You can book your tarot reading with me at samantha.as.me. That helps support the work that I do here at A Thousand Serious Moves, as well as benefits you. 
Similarly, you can purchase art from my Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash Hanael777. That's H-A-N-A-E-L 777. Currently, some of my work is up at, I think it's room 42 at the Thunderbird Hotel. But apparently, there's some happenings going on there. So, but in the meantime, you can purchase art that was like super vague, but I'm not going to re-record it. Uh, you can purchase art at etsy.com slash shop slash henayel777. And now on to more of a thousand serious moves, which you can share with your friends, subscribe, and leave a review. So back to the muse. Here's a poem. I wrote this poem, and it's for you. Underneath the silvery moon, my true lover waits for me. With thoughts and prayers towards the muse, his hand holds a pint of gasoline. A headless page with a fish in hand. What is it I refuse to see but a glistening body and mermaid tail? Like a long-lost ship, I am drunk at sea. O oh, Eros, with your arrows, I didn't mean to pry. Your indifference towards the pharaohs, for in love I am surely blind. Whatever I seek, so shall I find. Clairvoyance, yea, clear vision. Yet my love rushes forth between my thighs. A watery wall for my intuition. A delusional deluge at the nascence of creative projects. But even Odysseus could rare refuse the siren's call towards loving objects. And now we return to the book of Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom written by King Solomon, quote, unquote. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 11, and then I'm going to come back and point out a few different things that I noticed from an esoteric perspective from this chapter. And then next week will be the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and then the season following that, we're going to dive into some study of the herbs. How exciting. And by the herbs, I mean herbs. So without further ado, here's Ecclesiastes 11, and stick around for some esoteric interpretations. The value of diligence. Cast your bread upon the waters, 
for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there shall it lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that or whether both alike will be good. Truly, the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away all evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. <clears throat> so the very first thing that I notice from this chapter, Ecclesiastes 11, is verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight. So I'm going to stop there. So the symbolism of bread <clears throat> is an alchemical um, process, esoterically speaking, and perhaps even magically. <clears throat> is that redundant if I say alchemically? So... I'm thinking of the book of Gates where Osiris goes into the underworld and he's taken apart and put back together. And the offering that he gives as he passes through each of the 12 gates of the underworld, one of the offering he one of the offerings he gives is bread. And so the process of bread making is an alchemical process which is the right? The planting of the seed, the growing of the wheat, the cutting down of the wheat, the separating the wheat from the chaff, the grinding down of the wheat, the process of turning it into a dough, of pounding it down, it raises back up. You pound it down, it raises back up, and then you put it into the fire and then it comes out. So that's us. 
life is not just a game. It's also, if one so chooses, a process of spiritual development. And this is why enlightenment is often considered a path because it's a process. You can't just take a pill or do some ayahuasca and then all of a sudden you know everything. Even if you have large breakthroughs in therapy or any other type of psychedelic or mystical experience, we still have to deal with life on life's terms. And this is the process of bread making. So cast your bread upon the waters. There's a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes and also in the Psalms that has a lot of like Egyptian um, symbolism that I'm familiar with, though many would also say Babylonian, but I'm not familiar enough with a lot of the Babylonian myths. So, and then in verse two, give a serving to seven and also to eight. I see this in a Gnostic sense of whenever Sophia caught her reflection, Sophia being God's wisdom, whenever she caught her reflection and created the lower seven spheres, which we correspond with the classical seven planets. So stopping at Saturn is the furthest one out. And so from a Gnostic perspective, to move beyond the fate of the stars and beyond karma is that perhaps if one is in this journey of transcendence, then one is giving a serving of this bread, meaning the alchemical process of spiritual awakening and working through our shit, that these are offerings that we give in order for our awakening, that this is an offering that we can give to the gods and to ourselves. What's the difference? I'm not sure. So give a serving to seven and also to eight. So even when one makes it to the eighth, perhaps there's also still an offering to be made and perhaps there's still further to go. But perhaps when one reaches the eighth realm, at least one ought not be defined by the fate of the stars. This is one interpretation and I could easily go back, like I could easily backpedal on this in a couple of weeks. So this is just off the cuff with a bit of knowledge behind me. Let's see what else. Um, This is just not necessarily like in depth to like the interpretation of verse three, but it says, if a tree falls to the south or to the north, I just want to say that the south, so each of the four directions corresponds with one of the four classical elements. So the direction of south corresponds with fire, which has to do with wisdom and passion as well as many other things. But the south corresponds with fire and with wisdom. And the direction of the north corresponds with the element earth or a shield. And this is where the divine feminine and the ancestors lie. So, side note, if one were to make a an altar to one's ancestors, 
from a Western esoteric perspective, the north might be a good direction in your house. So like the a northern part of your house or the room that you set up the ancestor altar um, might be well-pleasing to the ancestors. As well as if one were to have an altar to say the Virgin of Guadalupe, perhaps the north or another feminine goddess, unless one knows otherwise, the north isn't a bad direction to set up an altar and so this is the shield, which is really interesting, is that the ancestors also protect us. The element earth has to do with shields and um, many, many other things. So the ancestors um, stand behind us and they protect us. Verse four, he observes the wind. He who observes the wind will not sow. And who, who, he who regards the clouds shall not reap. The first thing I think of with this verse is, he who observes the wind will not sow. So the wind corresponds with the mind and our thinking. In Kabbalah, we call it the Ruach. And so if one attaches to the thinking of the thinking of one's mind um, or starts to identify too closely with one's thoughts and thinking this can inhibit one from let's say fully flourishing if i get caught up in the wind because my thinking creates my reality so right guard your heart and test your thoughts <clears throat> and he who regards the clouds will not reap i could say that the clouds are what appear to be a more solid fog of my mind and so if you've ever used headspace or done one of those meditations where you imagine a big blue sky and the clouds are your thoughts that are just passing by the thoughts and the clouds are constricting all right what else i'm skipping ahead Yet, let's see, so 11 verse 8. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. We recognize that the light and the dark are both alike to God. And it's good to sleep with one eye open and surrender expectations. I have hope for the future, but I remember where I came from. I'm on a journey of what appears to be 
a forward momentum or a peeling away of layers, the dissolving of beliefs about what the future may hold. Verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. Sorrow is a natural inclination when things don't go the way that we think that they should. And therein lies what appears to be a problem. Thinking. And put away evil from your flesh. When I read evil, I think of the Kemetic, that's the word Egyptian, uh, is another word. Kemet would be Egypt. When I think of the word evil, I think of the word evil in Egyptian or in Kemetic, which would be dirty, meaning unclean. And so it's not about right or wrong. It's that when I have a clean heart and a pure mind and even a clean body, because inside, outside, all around, then I have a better sense of discernment, clairvoyance, clear vision. All right. And with that, we'll conclude today's episode of A Thousand Serious Moves. Subscribe and share with your friends and blessings be upon you and yours. Amen. <laughs>